Episode 163 is here, everybody, with Dr. Jay Feldman, the osteopathic doctor and businessman, entrepreneur. Uh, he really is a unique person because he's in the medical space, but he's doesn't really practice medicine in terms of having patients. He's more uh, involved in, in marketing, PR, uh, creating programs for at-home health care, and, and his Otter PR agency obviously is... Uh, sounds like his one of his prime focuses, if not hit the prime focus. Uh, we talk about marketing, branding, social media, um, what it takes to get the verified check mark. A lot of different things in this uh, insightful conversation with Dr. J. Check him out at Dr. J. Feldman on Instagram. And as a reminder, everybody, please subscribe to the podcast, continue to share it, and uh, we really appreciate all of the feedback that continues to come in. With that said. As promised, a very uh, entertaining and insightful chat with the one and only Dr. J. Feldman. The Optimal Life. Dr. J., how are you, sir? Doing well, Nate. Thank you for having me on the show today. Absolutely. So you're located in Florida. I'm in Cleveland. The weather up here, we, we woke up yesterday to snow on the ground, believe it or not. Uh, I assume... You know what? I'm, I'm looking down at my watch right now. It's 52 degrees outside, which is crazy. It was in the 80s yesterday. Yeah. So it's a temperamental time of the year, but no complaints about the weather in Florida. That's one of the reasons uh, that brought me down here. How long have you been in Florida? You know, I was actually raised here, uh, so I did college at University of Florida, and then after that, did medical school up in New York City, and stayed there for a couple other, couple more years, and then moved down here for about two years ago, and I'm planning on planting roots here down at St. Pete, and probably staying here for the long term. Nice. You know, I heard people that are Gators, um, that go to that go or went to UF, they, they stay an extra couple of years intentionally just because it's so much fun. Uh, my my business partner actually did that, not me. I was uh, a little nerd, hoping to get to medical school as fast as I possibly could. That's, that's what I did. It's uh, it's quite the campus, isn't it? Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, you know, traditional brick, very college towny. The whole city is designed around the school, uh, so I really had a great experience there. Nothing, no complaints. I, I was actually talking about the the females, but I'm sure the architecture is nice as well. <laughs> You know, it's a funny thing. Our, our rival school, Florida State, uh, dated a girl that went there, and they're actually known nationwide for their their females. Yeah. yeah. So, as well, well, Florida as a state, as a university, was was amazing. Florida State, you really really can't beat that in terms of <laughs> the women on campus. No, you can't. So you mentioned medical school, uh, doctor. I mean, how many years do you go to school? And talk us a little bit before we get into your whole background. What exactly is osteopathic medicine? Sure. Uh, so I studied uh, human biological science while at University of Florida. That's the typical pre-med route. There is no pre-med uh, undergrad major. Uh, so I did that for four years, of course, and then I actually took a year off uh, after graduating college. Uh, went traveling the world with two of my best friends from college. Went spent two months in Europe. Uh, spent some time in Israel, and it was just an absolute blast. I recommend everybody who has a profession such as that to take the time and really do that, see the world, discover themselves, get some culture, and then, you know, off to New York for medical school, an osteopathic medical school, which is the uh, acronym DO, as opposed to MD, which is allopathic medicine. 
It's really the same thing. 25% of graduating doctors now are DO. Uh, most of the new schools that are opening uh, for, for medical school are osteopathic medical schools. They learn the same curriculum, with the only difference being osteopathic doctors also have a course in, uh, we call it OMT, Osteopathic Manipulative Treatment, where we treat the musculoskeletal system with our hands. Mm. Uh, whereas allopathic doctors do not have that class. Uh, and also allopathic doctors are a little more focused on the research end of medicine, whereas osteopathic doctors tend not to be. We're more primary care focused, uh, direct treatment focused. But you know, I, I've worked alongside MDs. There's, there's osteopathic surgeons and plastic surgeons. Uh, they do the same residency together. Uh, so really the only difference is that little, little nuance there. So what exactly, how many years do you go to school for that? Uh, that's four years of medical school. So after four years of undergrad, you do additional four years of resident, uh, sorry, of medical school, and then the option to do residency, which is anywhere between three and eight years. And did you do residency? Just the, just the one, and then I stopped. You so did, yeah. now, now I'm able to operate independently and run my businesses. So exactly, are you still practicing medicine? I'm practicing in a pretty unique way, uh, which is going to be fun to talk about. So institutional medical doctors who are with hospital systems, who are with uh, clinics, are very restricted in what they're actually able to do and say, whereas I'm more of an entrepreneur. Uh, my goal with my medical degree is to be uh, an unbiased news source and information source for people when it comes to medical knowledge, uh, medical research, and true primary care, which actually happens at home, not in the clinic or in the hospital. I want to create health and medical courses for people to access where they can get proper information and treat themselves while at home. So that, that's what I want to do, and that's what I'm in the process of doing. So do you have patients or not? No, there are no patients directly under my care. I don't write any prescriptions. That is not my focus or what I want to do. So you're more inter you're you kind of found this uh, niche uh, more in this entrepreneurial side of things with the medicine, of course, and you're trying to create or you're in the process of creating. Um, when you say courses, courses for who exactly? For people who are looking to improve their health at home or interested in their health and you know want to prevent disease before it happens so courses on diet courses on hormones courses on uh, men's health there's a lot of you know men suffering from low testosterone and things like that and there's a lot of things they can do and action steps that they can take before ever seeking prescription drugs or prescription therapy and stuff like that so those are the types of courses that I'm interested in doing and the types of types of information that I'm interested in and talking about. What exact why are what are the reasons in your opinion that a lot of men it seems so more now than ever uh, continue to suffer from low test levels at an earlier age? Uh, so one I think it trends with obesity. Uh, the number one factor in low testosterone obviously there's a genetic factor, but obesity, the increasing fat tissue will decrease your testosterone. And then energy. I think men are more and more docile, and people who aren't actively exercising, actively lifting weights, uh, creating an environment for your body to create more testosterone, like we're naturally supposed to be doing, their testosterone levels drop. So just by fixing those two simple things, and then, yeah, there's some biohacks and stuff that you can take to help along the way, but fixing those two things will fix 90% yeah, of low testosterone that I've, that I've seen. So you think it's just 
because people are are just not taking care of themselves. They're eating more. They're out of shape. That's a that's a major drive, a major driver for low test. The biggest, and it's the least sexy answer, but absolutely. Yeah. And you mentioned um, what are some of the other things? Because it sounds like you try to take more of a holistic approach before somebody goes and, and uses you know a steroid injection of some sort. So uh, what, I do. Yeah, what talk? Elaborate on that if you would. And one of my fundamental beliefs, and the reason that I am taking the red that I'm taking, is you know, I, I truly believe the pharmaceutical industry has a has the healthcare industry kind of you know by the balls. A lot of these natural remedies and treatments that are available and their work are never going to get the full attention they deserve because there's no money behind studying them. For example, take turmeric, which is one of the most highly debated subjects by vegans, uh, you know, meat lovers, doctors, holistic doctors. Everyone's talking about this. No one's been able to prove it because God forbid, you know, the Heart Association was able to prove turmeric works. They're out of a ton of money. And same thing with like low-dose Accutane for dermatology, which is just vitamin A. And just taking a little bit of, tiny bit of Accutane every day, which is literally just vitamin A, is a pretty much, cure, I don't want to say cure-all, I know I sound like a quack, but it's a really powerful dermatological treatment. And if that was proven to be successful and rolled out on a wide scale, the whole skincare industry would be in ruins. So there's there's... Honestly, I have, I have lists of things that I'm, I'm writing a book right now that are follow along the same suit that are just these treatments and options that are never going to get any attention because, you know, if they would get attention, if they were studied, just like pharmaceutical drugs were studied with massive double-blind trials of 5,000 people to, you know, re reduce the number of confounders, then if they said, yes, this, we can tell this works, the healthcare industry, the pharmaceutical industry, would you know have, have a really hard time paying for it. I find that I, I totally agree with you, and I think people need to realize there's always a financial incentive in everything. I know people don't want to believe it. You just touched on it a little bit with with what you just the examples you just provided. Look at the vaccine. I mean, uh, there's there's other remedies out there that are proving to work and help people. You know, hydroxychloroquine and all these other different, you know, vitamin D, C, zinc, all these things that show to help uh, against the, the COVID and other diseases, of course. And they don't want to talk about those as much because it's money driven. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the vaccine, but when you look at the, uh, the Johnson & Johnson and the Moderna and all these other players, you have to remember there's incentive for the, for the big boys, correct? So absolutely, and what and you touched on the vaccine, and I, I've been doing a lot of content on, on the vaccine, un, unbiased, unfiltered content, and one of the things that scares me the most, it's not the financial incentive to, you know, for the pharmaceutical industries to get these vaccine and vaccines into people's arms, it's for the economy. If this vaccine were to show actual, ha actually have side effects in these clinical studies, and they were not allowed to roll this out, and the economy had to stay in ruin because of this, this coronavirus, then we wouldn't have had a vaccine. So I think there's a financial incentive for them to not disclose or under-disclose any side effects from these clinical trials and any ongoing side effects that they're seeing with the vaccine rollout. Because God forbid they actually found something that had to stop, you know, halt immediate vaccinations or lose the trust of the public. 
uh, you know, our economy would have to stay in the manner that it was six months ago. And we were, we were hemorrhaging, and that was unsustainable. So I, I think, like you said, money drives everything. And a lot of that conversation is just conversational. I'm not saying the vaccine has side effects. I'm not saying it's going to, but it might. Right. And we won't know for years. And yes. it's scary. It's not FDA approved yet. Now they're talking about vaccine passports. And I'm very nervous for where this could be going. I, doctor, I totally agree with you. And I'm not worried about right now, the near future, but what does 10 years from now look like? And, and nobody knows what that means in terms of what kind of ramifications. When you're shooting things into your body, it's poison into your body. So who knows what that could trigger five, ten years from now. And that's just something that a lot of people aren't talking about. Yeah, and you know, not everything's poison that you put in. Not a, you know, once you studied something for ten years and it's been proven, the MMR vaccine is one thing we mandate for babies. Like, we all get it. We have to show it that we went in order to go to public schools. And I'm, I'm fine with that. You know, I, I, it's been studied long enough. That all the associations with autism, that's a whole other conversation. I, you know, I, I do believe a lot of the vaccines that we currently use are safe. Mm-hmm. However, like you said, you know, what does this look like in 10 years with, an, with a new technology, which is what this mRNA vaccine is. It's a brand new technology we've never used in the United States. It makes me nervous. I'm not, I'm not here to say that something, something's gonna happen. Right. It'll, likely it won't, but it makes me nervous. Yeah, I, I agree with that. So, again, you're back to you. You're uh, this medical doctor, um, but you've tied in this entrepreneurial thing because you're trying to create courses for in-home improved health care. Um, and at the same time, it sounds like you've got all these other things going on. You own several businesses. You, you founded this Otter PR uh, public relations firm. Talk a little bit about these other things that you're involved in and how you got involved in them. Sure, and, and to be frank, the reason that I'm not pursuing traditional medical career is because I, I had this financial security leaving medical school, which is a, an absolute blessing that I'm able to pursue kind of this, this direction that I've chosen to go in. How did you have so, the financial security? Uh, through medical school, I actually started my first digital marketing agency. I uh, grew it to seven figures by my third year of medical school. And by my fourth year of medical school, I was faced with this real decision, you know, whether to stay in business and, and see where this goes or pursue a traditional medical career, which obviously my grandma really wanted me to do. <laughs> and <laughs> she was very disappointed. Yes, yes. Uh, but yeah, that, that was my sense of financial security. And I was working with a partner, Scott Bartnick, who's been my business partner for six years now on several projects, including several e-commerce businesses that we own. Uh, and several marketing agencies that we own, including Otter PR, which is our our you know national public relations agency. You know we're now doing multi seven figures. We have an office, thirty two people. It's, it's, it's an amazing place to go to work. We love it. Wow! And that that all started before medical school uh, with my my first company, which is a tutoring service. And second year of medical school, we started this digital marketing agency, and it. It grew, expanded. Uh, we found a couple of uh, fun niches to, to hit, and you know the, the rest is history. After I finished my medical training, I came to do this full time. That's incredible. And now I, yeah, it's been a, it's been a, a fun journey. That's absolutely incredible. So for people that I mean, that's like the dream come true, where you're able to start something while you're still in school before you even start your career. You've already started your career. Uh, so. What, first off, digital marketing. Exactly what did you guys do? Take us through maybe a little bit of your process and, and how you were able to 
create an idea and then launch successfully. What was what was your process? Sure, and I'll I'll discuss since we've had a couple of evolutions of this business. Mm-hmm. The main one that we're that we're working on now, the one that's grown to you know, this this real huge national force in PR. Yeah, please. PR. Please. Uh, so we had both been in, in different sectors of digital marketing before this. One of us in social media marketing, one in media buying, and PR was kind of a part of both of our companies. And that's you know when you're starting a business for the long term, you really want to sit back and think what is the lay of the land going to look like. 10 years from now, 20 years from now. What are we doing right now that's still going to be relevant and, and even continue to grow? And media buying was not part of it. You know, Facebook ads are obviously changing right before our eyes with tracking issues. Google is changing. Uh, YouTube is changing. People are changing their attention. So I don't know what media buying, and, and by media buying, I mean paid advertising, is going to look like 10 years from now. Uh, social media growth and branding is something we were doing I don't know what that's going to look like 10 years from now. PR is something that we were both working very hard on that we loved. And that's been around for, and around and essentially unchanged for 50 to 100 years. And we doubled down on that. We're like, this is, this is the future of what we're going to be doing. It's pretty much future proof. Not that anything is future proof. And, you know, we love to do it. And it's going to benefit us going forward in anything that we do. These, these skills that we're learning right now and relationships that we're building are going to continue to, to serve our companies and serve our personal brands and serve you know everything that we're doing. Mm-hmm. So that's how we decided on PR. And when we started, and it was just me and Scott, uh, marketer, publicist, writer. We were we were everything. We were wearing every single hat. And a lot of our first batch of clients that we had weren't paying us anything. We started off offering our services at next to nothing or a couple of hundred dollars a month to kind of experiment on them and get that first round of case studies. And the first three to six months was that. It was us working our butts off, wearing every single hat for about five clients to try and get them as much success as possible. And man, we did. They were in all of the top tier publications. We made a ton of amazing relationships. We ran some international campaigns with a huge success. Just from what we learned on YouTube and from some coaching calls with some other publicists and PR firms that we knew, that I knew from back in New York City. That's where I learned everything. I had no formal training. I was, I studied medicine. This is this is foreign to me. Right. Writing was always was always a strong suit. But then after that three to six months we were able to show some strong case studies. We started rolling this out on a on a on a national scale and having having that marketing background helped a lot. We were able to generate a lot of incoming leads. Uh, serve a lot of people from different walks of life through some things like email marketing, uh, Facebook advertising, YouTube advertising, Google advertising, things like that. And then we slowly built a system, a system and a scale that eventually led us here. Now we have a you know a writing team, a publicity team, we have a head of HR, we've got you know a marketing team, we've got graphic designers, and now it's just this beautiful thing. I come to work and it's, I get to do what I love to do, which is. Uh, new, the new projects that interest me, expansion, uh, adding things, scaling our systems. My partner loves the operations, the management, and I get to work on all my fun projects, including you know, my, my personal brand and stuff like that. That's fantastic. It sounds like you guys complement each other well. What I'm curious is, is how in the world were you able to even land those first five clients that you mentioned when you guys, it's just little, little Jay and little Scott in college. How do they even have confidence in you, and, and who were they? 
took a lot of convincing. And there were people that we've worked with uh, throughout the years in our various companies. There were companies that, frankly, came from both of our former digital marketing agencies where we were doing the other stuff. And it wasn't so much convincing them to trust us, it was more convince them to spend a couple hundred bucks for us to experiment with and see if we can hustle for them and make, make them testimonials, make them case studies. And they got on board with that because they trusted us from previous relationships. It's all about the trust. It's all about trust. And that's yeah. part of what PR is. It's, it's, public, it's communication to the, to the outside world. And, and you have to communicate trust in everything you do. And were they in specific, in, were they all in like the same industry or did it not matter to you? Hell no. Uh, so we had actors, we had uh, a multinational company, it was a hotel named Le Bijou. Uh We had some subject matter experts, we had a parenting blog. So we learned to deal with, I don't think we had any crossover, not even two clients that, were, that looked anything alike. And I think that made us stronger in learning and, and growing. How do you handle a PR crisis? One of your clients says something absolutely horrible. Uh, uh, for example, if you were guys were representing Chris Harrison, let's say, the, the fallout from the Bachelorette stuff. Oh, yeah. Uh, what would you do? Uh, so I actually did a show on this yesterday. There's three steps you need to take uh, when you have uh, a screw-up and you get caught in your screw-up. And that is one acknowledgement. So the first thing that you do is you do not deny, you do not... Uh, blame, you say, yes, you know, I'm a human, I did this, I fully accept responsibility for what I did. Uh, as soon as you get caught in a lie, you get caught deviating or blaming, everything can get much, much worse, and it's going to be much harder to crawl out of that hole. Step number two is apology. You have to issue a public apology, it needs to be sincere. And like I said, you need to stick to number one. You can't blame, you got to make sure in that apology there is no blaming happening. And then number three is action. You need to do something. You can't just acknowledge, acknowledge and then apologize and expect everything to be okay. You need to say, well, you know, if it's alcoholism, I, I checked myself into AA, I started this fund. If it's like the Chris Harrison thing, I, I can't, what was the girl's name? Rachel. Uh, if yeah. it's Rachel and she's being accused of racism for attending this party, if, here's the steps that I'm taking to educate myself. And there needs to be some sort of action there so the public knows that you're actually going to be doing something about it so, so that it won't happen again, so that you're using this opportunity as a positive. And that's really the goal there. Interesting. So it's accountability, number one. Number two, don't blame anybody else. Except, you know, apologize and don't... And number three is, uh, is then put an action into the accountability. Yep, you got it. Now you can handle any crisis. Well, hey, listen, if I say anything stupid on this podcast, I'll just call you guys. You guys will take care of me. Yeah, now you know who to call. Perfect. <laughs> um, so you mentioned before that uh, that you like to do the social media stuff, the growth, the marketing. You're into this. Your, your partner's into the operations and that kind of stuff. And I see your social media, and I've looked at some of them, particularly your Instagram, which I'm looking at, 109,000 followers. How did you grow your Instagram? Uh, so a lot of different tactics that have changed over the years. And now Instagram is, in my opinion, a glorified business card. There's no attention there anymore. Back when I was active on Instagram, which was about two, three years ago, uh, things were a lot different. Um, there was a lot of organic attention. Just by posting good content, you were able to get in front of a lot of eyes. And if you're posting good, unique content, those people would follow you. And that doesn't really happen anymore. 
Uh, so back in the day when I was growing, I would post uh, a really unique video of say me learning how to do rectal exams in medical school. And I would have a lot of partner accounts that I would then pay $20 to $50 to post on their feed and say to go follow me for more. And they would come over to my account, see the content that I was posting, see what I was about, and I would grow it pretty quickly. And a lot of those posts would go viral, end up on the Explore page, and I would have one good post that I would get five to 10,000 new followers. That is no longer the case. Yeah. Uh, so people who, who want to grow on Instagram now, you know, it's kind of like podcasts. I feel like people already follow who they're going to be following, and there's not a lot of deviation from that. They really care about that number of people that they're following, the number of content that they're consuming. Yeah. But yeah. you know, there's always room for good content. So the, my number one piece of advice is one, create good content that's going to be, that's going to stand out on Instagram. Quote posts are not enough. Uh, unique video content is probably what you should, what you should be looking for. And then you got to pay to play. Uh, you have to find other accounts that you think your target audience is following. And those accounts need to endorse you and say to go over and follow you. And then when that person actually does listen to them and go follow you, they better like what they see. And you can't just be regurgitating the same poop that all, all the other influencers in your space are regurgitating. You have to be unique. Uh, there's also some bl black hat ways of growing, such as loop giveaways or celebrity giveaways where... You know, we use a celebrity account to drive a bunch of followers to a certain account, but those aren't targeted followers. They don't care about your content. They're just following you because the celebrity said so. That's interesting. You called Instagram a glorified business card because there's not as much attention. I feel like Instagram is probably still the number one social media platform, correct? Uh, number one according to what? I'm sure it's the number one for user base, maybe. Um, I'm sure it's the number one for several on several metrics, but in terms of the algorithm, in terms of where creators can go to get organic eyes and organic growth, it is far from the number one. Where, where would you, where do you prefer to be these days? If you're a newer creator and you're looking to grow a media, a social media presence, uh, as a professional, I would go to LinkedIn. As a creator, I would go to TikTok. Mm. Because the t the algorithms are more favorable on TikTok, where they're pushing your video out to a hundred thousand people, and, and you've got ten followers. Yeah, uh, and it's it's that's not so much how the algorithm works. For example, I posted a video yesterday educating people about the COVID vaccine, and it had about fifty views in the first like two hours. They roll it out very slowly to a test audience. If that test audience is watches the whole video and then they like the video or they share the video then it's like, okay, that, that's, those are some good signs. This, the people that we rolled this out to, it's like this video, it's good content. Let's mm. try it in a bigger test audience. And then they keep escalating that. It's kind of the same way the YouTube algorithm works, actually. And that's how, that's how an algorithm should work. And Instagram does not perform like that. And it's a shame, it, it used to. That's how the, the algorithm used to work. It used to end up on the Explore page. So that's why TikTok's been growing so fast. My, my video that I posted last night now has like 40,000 views and like 100 comments. That's impossible on, on Instagram. Even with my 110,000 followers, that, that doesn't yeah. happen. It's, yeah. Of your 110,000, probably only 15 to 20 even see it if you post something. Maybe. Yeah, if, if it's a good post, 15 yeah. to 20% will see it. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that you say that because I'm not really big on TikTok, but I've... I've got an account. I got an account mostly to, just to 
be able to monitor my kids accounts but um, but I have played around with it a little bit and we were on vacation and I I did this post I just we were out in the middle of the ocean I was on a boat I saw this kid on another boat we're in like Key Largo and uh, and he's wearing an Ohio State shirt and I yell OH and he yells back IO and the th and I posted it I didn't know anything about it I had like 10 followers it ended up getting 50,000 views yeah, I, and good content will go very, very <laughs> far on TikTok. And there's not a lot of platforms that you can do that on. You, uh, you just got to do, do more dancing videos. People will love you. Yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> you also mentioned LinkedIn for if you're if you're you know a professional. So why, why LinkedIn and, and what's good about what? How does that work over there? Uh, so LinkedIn as well is a good algorithm. Um, so you're able to very easily connect with people. Uh, no one cares how many people you're connected with. So you can literally every day connect with 40 new people and then post content uh, that has educational, professional, professionally written content on there on your LinkedIn page, whether it be a video or a, you know, short form content. And if you're able to generate some likes and comments, LinkedIn is going to push that content out and to your entire audience, which can be massive and more. There's a lot of explore on LinkedIn as well. And to be frank, I'm not a LinkedIn expert. I've been using it very briefly, but I've noticed the benefits from it. And there's also a lot of interesting LinkedIn automation techniques that are currently working really well, where you can automatically connect with people within your network and like their content. And that's been working very, very well for us. Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's fantastic advice. I, I will. I'm starting to use LinkedIn a little bit more as well, so um, uh, I uh, I'll take that advice. Back real quick though to the Instagram. Um, I saw you guys did an article recently on your website about there's people now offering help to help others to try to become get the verified check mark. I believe I saw it on your website. Um, yep. So number one, why does why do people want this blue check mark so badly? I know you you're verified. You could talk about the process and and whether it's worth it for people or or whether you would recommend avoiding it. So verification is an amazing thing. Uh, like you said, trust and credibility, that check mark gives it to you. It's the, it's the ultimate form of it on social media. It's the one that you can't fake, you can't lie. Uh, the only way to get it is through credibility across multiple media platforms and online. Uh, it's not enough to have a lot of followers to get it, and it's not enough to just request it. You actually have to be deserving of it. So yeah, there's a couple of ways to get it. Uh, one of them being the, to the real way, the organic way. You can be a real celebrity, a real athlete. You can be a real you know, multi-nationwide brand or influencer that has you know, attention across all the top tier media platforms and has a great YouTube presence and things like that. Or you can work with an agency like us. And I, I will go ahead and disclose working with us to get this verification is very, very expensive. So it's not for everybody. And we, we are able to help influencers and brands with it. But the goal there is to create that presence, uh, get them on multiple top tier media sites uh, that are all verified themselves, very credible sites that are with feature articles that are just about them and how amazing what they're doing is and who they are. And then also work on their cross social media uh, platform growth and branding. Uh, that whole process takes about three months and then we actually submit them for verification through a media portal, not through the phone which also takes a lot of money and a lot of resources to be able to access. Uh, so the whole process takes 
costs about $15,000, takes about four to five months, but absolutely worth it in the end. And again, it depends on what you're doing. Like for me, running a PR agency, I have to be verified. So it's a no-brainer, my, my partner as well. Mm-hmm. If, you're, if you're not in that type of industry or you're running a company where you know, your, your trust and credibility just doesn't really matter, then you might, it, it might not be worth the investment. If you're running a, a giant brand who does sales in every state and you think your brand deserves that blue check mark just to increase their, your, their trust and increase their engagement and followers, then I think it could be a great use of your money, absolutely. Yeah, that's uh, really fascinating. That that's uh, it's a whole business model now, to go from point A to point B. And it doesn't. It sounds like it's not necessarily like you said. It's not about somebody might have a hundred thousand followers or five hundred thousand and try to get verified. But if there's not, if they're not being talked about, if there's not a good SEO on them, where you Google search them and there's nothing much out there about them, they may not be so fast to get the, the check mark. Is that what you're saying? Hundred percent. Your followers has almost nothing to do with it. Granted, if you have a million followers, that's that's a, a sign to them that says maybe this person needs to get verified. Yeah. But I've seen people verified with as little as five hundred followers. Uh, reporters are a great example of that. They're at very high risk of impersonation. Reporters and journalists. So for them, it could be as simple as for, you know applying on your phone and saying, "I'm a journalist. Somebody is impersonating me. I think you should verify me." Mm-hmm. And in a lot of cases, that works. Before I let you go, uh, you do a lot of different things. Uh, you know, I've said this before to other people, but I got to tell you, you, you may be uh, a good candidate for the next Dos Equis guy. <laughs> I don't think I'm old enough. I would love to be the next Dos Equis guy one day. I've still, I've still got a lot of life to live. Okay, we'll one day. <laughs> uh, doctor, entrepreneur, investor, uh, all these different things. You also host the Mentors Collective podcast. Talk to us a little bit about your podcast before we let you go. Sure, so Mentors Collective was uh, my thought baby when I was, I'm, I'm huge on mentorship, and I, when I was learning how to be an entrepreneur, I would seek out mentors in all different walks of life and, walk, and stages of business and different expertise, and I would have these calls with them, just like we're having now, where I would learn different skills and ask, be able to ask them questions, and at the end of each call, I was like, I wish this was recorded so I could replay it and, and show it to others. So that's how Mentors Collective was born. I started this podcast where it's me asking these questions to experts in various fields and with, for amazing people. And because of my verification on my social media, I've been able to get some really amazing people and have conversations just like this and learn a lot. So that's what Mentors Collective is. I interview about two people every week. I'll learn. I, I've learned some amazing skills. I've met some amazing people, and hope you guys uh, tune in and, and take a listen. It's, it's really been a fun journey. That's fantastic stuff. I really appreciate it, Doctor J. It's Doctor J Feldman on Instagram. We will link him up here in the show notes. Check him out, and uh, appreciate the insight. Continued success on your PR firm. Uh, your move from Orlando to Tampa or St. Pete, to be exact. It sounds like you got a lot going on. So best of luck with everything. Thank you so much. It's been fun. Thanks for having me on the show, and always great to meet another another brethren. Have a yes, great sir. rest of your day. Likewise. Take care, bud.